This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Parshat Yitro this week takes us into the wonderful world of Harsinai. Uh, we have the exciting covenant of uh, the Brit of Harsinai, and of course the Aseret HaDibrot. However, this week I'm not going to focus on what you what might be the most popular bits, um, not on the Aseret brought themselves, nor on Yitro's visit, or any of the other uh, features. Rather, I'm going to uh, turn our attention to three mitzvot, or a few psukim, which are tucked away at the end of the parsha, uh, the maftir of this week's parsha. These are the psukim which uh, follow on from Ma'amad Har Sinai, from the spectacle of revelation at Mount Sinai. And we read some interesting mitzvot, which seem to have a difficult uh, place for us. We don't quite understand why they're there, and that's the problem that I'd like to address this week. Let's read them through. So Hashem says to Moshe, Tell B'nai Israel, you have seen that I have spoken to you from the heavens. Don't make gods of silver or golds of, of gods of gold. Don't make with me gods of silver or gods of gold. And then the Pesukim continue, Pasukhaf, Mizbeach Adamata Aseli, make a earthen or earth altar, and there you shall bring your olatecha, uh, your burnt sacrifices, vetshlamecha, etzoncha, betbacharcha, all of your um, cattle or your herds that you want to bring as, as sacrifices to me, b'chol makom asher azkiret shemi, in any place where I mention my name, avo elecha uverachticha, I will come and bless you. And if you make me an altar made out of stone, um, do not make them, do not make them of stone which has been cut by a metal implement and shaved down. When you wave your sword upon it, you profane the altar. And do not go up to my altar by means of steps, because then you will uh, reveal your nakedness. And instead, it would appear you have to use a different method of ascending the altar. So here we have, let's try and summarize. Uh, the Psukim say, you have seen that I've spoken to you from the heavens. Do not make gods of silver and gods of gold. And there are all sorts of instructions for how to deal with a Mizbeach. Now, many people are puzzled by these Psukim here. After all, why do we need to say, Why do we need to state the fact that you mustn't have gods of silver and gods of gold? Haven't we just heard the Aseret Hadibrot? Haven't we just heard the second commandment where we're told, uh, um, Why do we need to be reminded here about 
gods of silver and gods of gold. And maybe more perplexing is what this is, what this collection is. What is this collection of laws? And let me explain why it is so confusing. When you look at uh, Parsha Titro, you see the Aseret Tadibrot and the immediate reaction to the Aseret Tadibrot of the people running away en masse. And then you have this little paragraph, Pasukutet Chafgimel, which describes these mitzvot. And then we have a new beginning, And these are the judgments or social laws that you should place before them. In other words, this is a series of laws which are sort of stuck in between the great spectacle, the great, great experience of God at Har Sinai and the list of the Mishpatim. And we don't quite understand what exactly they are doing here, what their function is, what their purpose is. So let me try and give a few different uh, explanations and hopefully we will be able to understand um, how to appreciate these these uh, mitzvot. The first observation many have made is that maybe we have an interesting collection of laws, of cardinal laws, laws which are Yehareg Ali Avor. Um, people are relating to the three cardinal laws which one must uh, suffer death rather than transgress. Avodazara, Shvichut Damim, and Gilui Arayot. The transgression of idolatry, the transgression of murder, and the transgression of sexual immorality. How do these relate to these laws? And this is, if you want, inspired by Rashi's readings and uh, traditional readings of these Pesukim. Uh, the first mitzvah here is, You have seen from the heavens I have spoken to you. Do not make with me gods of silver and gods of gold. So that obviously is part of the um, reminding us of the transgression of idolatry. The second um, detail here is to make a altar made out of um, adama, made out of clay or made out of um, earth. And that we have to be very careful if we make it out of stone that we do not wave our sword upon this. And it is here that Rashi talks about the very special mitzvah here of not using the sword on the mizbeach, not using the sword on the altar, that the sword is there to shorten life and the mizbeach is there to lengthen life, and that violence and the, the and God's altar go in opposite directions. I'll read to you one particular line here where he says, Shamizbeach matil shalom ben Yisrael avim um, The whole role of the mizbeach is to create peace, and therefore we don't want any implements of war. So here would be a resonance of the Isur of Shvichut Damim. And then the last line says, when you make steps, when sorry, when you make an altar, do not make steps. Because if you make steps, you have to take wide uh, strides, and a person wearing a robe or some sort of skirt um, will be exposed. Literally, you must not expose your nakedness, but of course this word, is giloy arayot, which is a, um, a metaphor, a metaphorical description of uh, sexual immorality, and therefore we have the Isurim, a classic uh, threesome of Isurim, of Avod Azarash, Vichut Damim, and Giloy Arayot. 
uh, idolatry, murder, and sexual immorality. Now, this is a neat package, if you want to describe it this way. However, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, not everybody agrees with this interpretation of the Pesukim. And, and second of all, I don't quite understand uh, why we need these three Isurim here, what are they doing at this particular juncture? I shall return in a few minutes to try and interpret how they are relevant, but for the moment, it's a difficult question. A second approach, which is to see these mitzvot as related to the Ten Commandments, as related to the Aseret Um And how might we explain this? There is a theory uh, proposed by, by many that the Aseret brought are headings of a sort and that uh, there are derivatives of each of the Aseret brought. For those of you familiar with, uh, for example, the laws of Shabbat, the laws of Shabbat consist of Avot and Toladot, uh, archetypes and their derivatives. And in fact, uh, Rashi mentions at the end of Parashat Mishpatim, uh, the way that Rabbi Sadjagaon tried to put all of the 613 mitzvot and order them under the categories of the Aseret Adibrot, of the Ten Commandments. In other words, why were the Ten Commandments chosen to be the revelation to the people of Israel? Why choose those particular ten? Because in some way, all of the 613 commandments, which uh, which make up Judaism, can actually be uh, categorized under these particular ten. In other words, the Ten Commandments form the key, and then after that we want certain derivatives. People who take this approach have noted that these psukim seem to echo the Ten Commandments. Let me explain. Again, I will read the, the psukim. Pasukyud chet. This is what you should say to Bnei Israel. You have seen that I have spoken to you from the heavens. And that sounds remarkably like the mitzvah of Anochi, Hashem Alokecha. Do not make images of silver and gold, which sounds very much like Do not make idols. The second command. And then when they talk about the altar of God, he says, Make an earthen altar, and there you can bring all of your sacrifices. He ends off the comment in verse 20, Pasuk Chav, saying, Every place that I mention my name, I will come and bless you. And of course, this would correspond to the third commandment, which deals with taking God's name in vain. In other words, the whole establishment of an altar is to create a space, a legitimate space, a legitimate place for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. In which case, what we have here is a uh, rewording, a rephrasing, a bringing down to earth, an explanation of the first three of the Aseret brought. The Ramban adopts this theory very much. And he says that, in his opening comments to Parshat Mishpatim, he says that, in fact, all of the Parshat Mishpatim is actually an explanation of the Ten Commandments. And here I have to explain a little bit the place of Parshat Mishpatim and 
help understand it. In chapter 19 and 20, Parakutet and Chaf of Shemot, we see the great uh, revelation at Harsinai and the people stand around the mountain and hear the Ten Commandments. But then we see this, as we've just read, this list of mitzvot and straight into the Elah Mishpatim Sasim Lifnehem, the mitzvah of the Jewish slave and all sorts of laws dealing with um, murder, personal damage, um, property rights, property damage, uh, laws of courts, going into the Chagim. And right at the end of Parashat Mishpatim, in chapter 24, we see a covenantal cer- ceremony at Mount Sinai. And in that covenantal ceremony, in chapter 24, uh, we see that there is something called a Sefer Habrit, a book of the covenant. And what does this book of the covenant consist of? Uh, we're told there that uh, Moshe writes down... Um, in other words, what we have here is a book which consists of the Divrei Hashem and the Mishpatim. And the suggestion here is that the Divrei Hashem are the Ten Commandments and the Mishpatim are the derivatives of these commandments. When you look at Parsha Mishpatim, many of the laws seem to echo the Ten Commandments. So, for example, we have all the laws of um, murder and personal injury which are derivatives of uh, Lotir Tzach. We have the laws of property rights which are derivatives of Lotiknov. There are even some sexual laws which are derivatives of Lotinath and uh, do not commit adultery. And then we also have other laws which are, which seem related to the um, law courts which would seem to be uh, derivatives in some way of the uh, ninth commandment, which are when we're talking about um, uh, do not um, act as fault, false witness. We also have a list of all the Chagim and Shabbat and Shemitah, which seem to resonate with uh, echoes of the Mitzvah of Shabbat, which we find in the Ten Commandments. Simply put, um, the way we want to construct everything here is that we have the Ten Commandments. And then the next three chapters, chapter 21, 22, and 23, are explanations, are expansions of the Ten Commandments. And where does all this begin? This all begins with the Psukim immediately following um, the revelation at Harsinai, the Psukim we have read, which are derivatives of Anochi, Lo yelecha, lo tisa, the first three commandments, you will say, oh, why is there a new introduction in chapter 21, possibly because the first three commandments primarily deal with God, and the rest deal with interactions between human beings, um, and therefore there might be a difference, these are the judgments, or these are the societal laws which you shall place in front of them, um, but broadly speaking, what we want to see is that these mitzvot are the beginning of the expansion of the Ten Commandments, and that the whole next few chapters deal with that expansion. Now this is a very, very nice explanation, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. But I would like to raise some problems with these psukim, with the assistance of Rashi, and to realize that these uh, verses which we've just read are far more complex than when we when first meet the eye. And let me 
try and illustrate this with a few comments by Rashi. The first command here, <clears throat> verse uh, 19. Lot asun iti Elohei chesef, do not make with me gods of silver and gods of gold. And uh, Rashi, uh, my students always point this out immediately when they read these psukim. I don't know whether you're thinking about it, but Rashi immediately harps on the problem of the kruvim, the cherubs which were in the Holy of Holies. And Rashi says, what does it mean, Elohei Chesef, Balahazir ala kruvim? It comes to talk about the cherubs which were in the Holy of Holies, um, that they mustn't be of silver, that they have to be of gold, that they can't be uh, more than two. Uh, you're not allowed to make four of them. And um, Rashi elaborates and says, don't even make kruvim in your shuls. Don't make images in your shuls. Now, Rashi is trying to tiptoe around the topic. But when I read this verse, Don't make forms of silver and forms of gold. It says exactly that. And we might be questioning, well then why are we allowed to have the kruvim why are we allowed to have the cherubs at all? A second question. The mitzvah which says, Mizbeach adamata aseli. Uh, make an altar out of earth or out of clay. And possibly make it out of stone. Verse 21. Well, here's a big problem. Because later on, in chapter 27, we read about the Mizbeach in the Mishkan. In the tabernacle, there is an altar. And when you look at that altar in chapter 27, it is not made of earth and it is not made of stone. After all, it had to be transported. And therefore, when we read about the Mizbeach, it says, You make it out of wood. And what do you do with this wood? You um, cover this wood with Nechoshet. In fact, it is known as the... Uh, Nechoshet, the copper altar. Now, once again, first of all, it's interesting that metal is used in the Mizbeach. Metal is used in the altar. But here we've just been instructed to make either an earthen altar or one of stones. So why in the Mishkan do we do something different? Why are we instructed to make it out of wood and overlay it with copper? Very strange. And now if I reach the third one, the third mitzvah, the last Pasuk, Pasuk Chafet, it talks about being very careful not to make steps on your way up to the Mizbeach. Because you might expose uh, with your wide steps, the skirts might become wide or the robe might open up and your nakedness will be revealed. And Rashi immediately points out, This is not really um, exposure um, because Shahari Kativ Lahem of the Kohanim wear uh, some sort of undergarments. They wear Michnasayim, they wear some sort of trousers or pants which are underneath their robes, and and therefore there's no problem of exposure. And he says, nonetheless, Harchavat If you walk with two large steps, then that is like exposure. It, it is it is unbecoming. What we're seeing is that in these psukim, 
there, this, these psukim do not match the code that we know later on. These psukim do not seem to match what we have in the Mishkan. Let me again elaborate. Don't make gods of silver and gods of gold. We do have gods of gold, or we do have images of gold in our Mishkan, on the on the Aron itself, the Kruvim. By the way, one of the, I think, very clear explanations of this, Lotasun Iti, do not make with me gods of silver and gods of gold, is that people would want, people might possibly want, to represent the experience of Harsinai. And... Um, this is elaborated in Devarim chapter 4. Where in Devarim chapter 4 it tells us, remember and be very careful to remember everything you saw on the day you stood before God at Horev, when God told me to gather all the people and he, you stood under the mountain and the mountain was burning with fire. And he says, you heard the voice of God. And he t- God tells us there in Perak Dalad Pasuk Tetzayin in Devarim, Lest you become degenerate and you try and make an image of some sort of male or female, some sort of animal, some sort of bird, any creature or insect or fish, lest you lift up your eyes to the heavens and you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the hosts of the heavens and you start sacrificing to them, you know, don't do this. What what is this saying? It is saying that we had such an overwhelming experience at Harsinai we might want to remember that experience. We might want to take that picture home. You know, we have, I remember in the old days when, uh, you know, Kodak used to have advertisements on the television. So they used to talk about taking home a Kodak moment, that you wanted to somehow be able to capture the moment. And that was the idea of photography. Well, there's no photography at Harsinai. But if people had such an overwhelming experience, just like people would like a memento, from a special occasion, be it a bar mitzvah or a wedding or some other moving occasion, and people take away, whether it's the bencher or the t-shirt from the concert or whatever it is, how would people do that in the in the aftermath of Harsinai? Well, people would want to make something that represented the heavens, because the heavens, uh, you know, or thunder and lightning, or a lion to represent the strength, or, or whatever it might be, come what, come what may. God says, Be very careful not to make any images. But as I said, that doesn't match the mitzvah of the Kruvim. The same thing, Mizbeach Adama or Mizbeach Avanim does not match, match the experience later on in the Mishkan. And neither does the problem of not revealing your nakedness because in the, in the, in the uh, Mishkan there would be obviously uh, Kohanim, and the Kohanim had a proper uniform, and that uniform did not allow any exposure, and therefore there was no problem with Giloy Erva, of the of the re- revealing of one's nakedness. And therefore, where do these Psukim fit in? So I would like to suggest, along the lines that we've already hinted at, that these are a very special set of mitzvot. And this special set of mitzvot have a unique place. And let me try and explain. And the approach I'm taking is already hinted at by the Ibn Ezra, where the Ibn Ezra says that the Mizbeach Adama is not the Mizbeach of the Mishkan, 
but it is rather the Mizbeach that was made at the foot of Har Sinai. Um, in that ceremony, in chapter 24, they made an altar at the bottom of Har Sinai, and we don't know what they exactly constructed it of. But this was a pre-Mishkan altar. I should add something more. At that pre-Mishkan altar in chapter 24, we see that there are various uh, Na'arei Bnei Yisrael, youths of Bnei Yisrael, who offer up Olot and Tzvachim Shlamim. Exactly these sacrifices we've spoken about. They offer up um, burnt offerings and peace offerings. And we should remind ourselves that at Har Sinai we had a Kohanim, priests. However, these priests are not the Bnei Aharon, as it would appear. In fact, Rashi suggests they are the firstborns. And if they are the firstborns then and not the priests, then they don't have the special clothing of the priests. And let me try and explain what I'm suggesting. I want to suggest that these few psukim, Pasukyud describe a certain way of serving God, a way of serving God that is pre-Mishkan and independent of Mishkan. It is possible that this was represented at later times during Heter Bamot. There were times when there was uh, permission to have sacrificial altars uh, due to the fact that there was no central place of worship. For example, after the central uh, worship at Shiloh was destroyed, um, the people were allowed to worship at local altars called Bamot. Likewise, in this case, it would appear that Hashem is legislating immediately after Har Sinai for a situation in which there is no Mishkan. Let me explain what I mean by this. I'll try and elaborate it um, by going through these mitzvot and explaining them, and then we'll try and work out when this might have been or for what this might have been. Let's imagine that we've just experienced Har Sinai and we've just had our experience of God. And as I mentioned before, Everybody wants in some way to recreate this event, to reconnect with this event. Certainly the God that they have made a covenant with on coming out of Egypt, who has given them their Torah and their code of law, this God is a God to whom they want to to worship, they want to serve. And how are they going to do this? Hashem here is legislating for a non-Mishkan environment. And he says, You saw I spoke to you from the heavens, but don't make any images at all. I think the pshat here is, don't even make kruvim. Don't make any images whatsoever. Nothing at all. In fact, some of the Farshim say that the reason why you have to be very careful to use whole stones and not stones which have been carved is nothing to do with violence whatsoever. It's to do with the fact that whole stones are not engraved and they were worried that they would put images and pictures into the walls of the altar. In other words, when we are dealing with an altar, um, sorry, when we're dealing with service of God, there must be no images whatsoever. That's rule number one. Rule number two, two is the precise details of how to make an altar. Again, possibly... That has no images, but let me stress another detail which I haven't focused on up till this point. Says the pasuk, in any place where I mention my name, I will come and bless you. What do you mean in any place? In any place where I mention my name, the reason for this 
is because the bamot or the sacrificial altar could be made in any place you like. It will be here or it will be there. As some of the Mufarshim say here, um, this could be, it's irrespective of whether it is in Gilgal or Shiloh or Nov or Givon or Yerushalayim. In other words, we're dealing for a situation in which people have their own bamot, their own sacrificial altars in their backyards and they have to know the precise regulations as to how to make them. And of course, they won't be making them like they did in the Mishkan with shittim wood and overlaying it with nechoshet, because the whole idea was there to make a movable altar, a movable structure. Here it will be a mizbeach adama or mizbeach avanim, whole stones, etc., etc. So this is a how-to guide, a guide for people who want to make them mizbeach at home. However, Obviously, if people are going to be making their own altar, their own mizbeach, they will not have big day kuhuna, they will not have the priestly clothes, and therefore do not make any steps because you will reveal your nakedness. Because then there won't be special trousers in the big day kuhuna. In other words, what we are seeing here is a pre-migdash code. It is a set of laws which exist independent of the Mikdash, maybe for a period of Heter Bamot, for a period when the local familial or town sacrificial altars were allowed. In this regard, let me return to something that we said right at the beginning of Ashiur this week. I mentioned that there are some who want to trace these mitzvot on a matrix of Avodah Giloy Arayot and Shrichut Damim. I have to stress that according to Rashi, these are precisely the Averot, the transgressions which happened at the Egel Azahav. Rashi mentions that there is of course idolatry, but there was also sexual immorality, promiscuity, and even Shrichut Damim. Now, where do all of these find their space in the world of idolatry? Well, I think it's quite obvious. Well, in the world of idolatry, the Baal and the Asherah and the gods of Canaan at any rate, there was definitely Shrichut Damim. There was the Molech, where people were killed, and human beings were killed and sacrificed. And there was also Kadesh and Kadeshah, there was ritual prostitution, sexual acts which were performed in the pagan altars of of the Baal and Asherah. In other words, part of the environment of Canaanite idolatry was also Shrichut Damim and and Giloy Arayot. What I'm saying is that it is possible that these mitzvot here are warning us and saying, hey, you've just been through Har Sinai, you're going to want to sacrifice to God, you're going to want to serve God, but be very careful, be very careful to have no images, no no, no iconography, no images at all. Be very careful to build your altar in such a way that it stresses the message that there is to be no killing around this altar, of course, killing of animals, but no killing of human beings. Using a sword on a human being profanes your altar. No molech. If you are careful not even to make steps, so you will not expose your yourself, then all the more so, you will not get engaged in any further acts of promiscuity, sexuality around the Migdash. Now some of you are going to say, or be thinking to yourself, wait, I don't get it. Didn't we know that there was going to be a Beit HaMikdash? Wasn't there a plan to make a Beit HaMikdash? 
And I think that, of course, there is no doubt that there was a plan to make a Beit HaMikdash. We read in last week's parsha, Migdash Hashem Konanu Yadecha. We read in Parsha Mishpatim the plan to have a Beit HaMikdash, um, which will be a place when we will come three times a year. Shalosh Rugalim Tachogli Bashana. Shalosh Palmim Bashana Yera'ekol Zuchurcha Paneha Adon Hashem. However, it could well be that at this stage, prior to the Egel Hazahav, um, there didn't seem to be such an urgency for a central Beit HaMikdash. After all, the plan was to stay at Tarsinai for 40 days and 40 nights for Moshe to get the Torah, and then to progress to Eretz Yisrael, which was only an 11-day journey away. Maybe in a short amount of time, Am Yisrael would have found themselves near Yerushalayim, and they would be able to build their Beit HaMikdash in Eretz Yisrael. Maybe there didn't seem such an urgent need to have a portable Mishkan until after the great sin of the golden calf. And therefore, what Hashem is saying here is actually legislating for a situation in which you can worship God, you can build Mizbachot, just like they do at the foot of Har Sinai in Perek Haftalet in chapter 24. Moshe builds an altar, they bring exactly these vachim and these a lot, like a legislated in Pasuk Chaf. Mizbeach Adamata Aseli Vezavachtala Betolotecha Betshlomecha Etzoncha Betbekorcha You can bring them. And Ibn Ezra says that's exactly what it's talking about. And in that situation there are no Kohanim. And therefore they have to be careful not to have steps going up to the altar because they do not have the big day kahuna. However, within the 40 days and 40 nights, already the people turned towards the Egel HaZahar. Suddenly the great sin happened. And then the response of God was to say, okay, we need a Mishkan now, not later. And these mitzvot, this maftir of Yisrael was sort of like now out of place. But what is interesting here is that in, and, and so in other words, let me try and summarize my theory. The reason why the details of these psukim don't seem to match the Mishkan are very simple. Because they are not the Mishkan. They are a situation of private sacrifice to God which was legislated and it was certainly approved of by Hashem however this never really happened because the Mishkan took over and all of the sacrificial rites was uh, transferred to the Mishkan and now we worship HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the Mishkan and that is the way it's going to happen but I would like to say something at this point it is fascinating that at the close of the Aserta Dibrot, Hashem creates a way to worship Him, which is not a mode of national service. It is not a mode of national service. It is not regulated. There is no strict rules of how a person has to dress, of what a person has to say. There is no strict rules of the Mishkan which uh, restrict entry to non-Kohanim or non-Nuviim. There are no special uniforms, etc., um, all the rules of the Migdash are not here. And it almost appears to be the case that Hashem offered us an opportunity to have our own more individualistic, more intimate way of worshipping Chodesh Baruch Hu. And that's a more accessible, uh, maybe even more spontaneous. What is equally fascinating is that this thing spun out of control so quickly that 
offering this uh, unregulated approach to Hashem went wrong within 40 days and 40 nights. It turned into the Egel Hazahav that these few rules um, were not kept well enough and that they did make Lotasun Iti Elohei Chesed Zahav. They made that Elohei Zahav. They made that golden calf because they found it too difficult to keep this rule. Um, but what I think we see here in these few psukim is an amazing code which offers uh, access to every family to have their own altar. Um, because of the Egel Azahav, this was uh, banned. However, it was revived at later times when there was something called Heter Bamot. And we see that there was a plan in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's system to give access in every single place, to give access to all different types of people, not only Kohanim and Levim, as long as they kept more stringent rules. In the environment of the Mishkan, we can have Kruvim because it's more restricted, because it's more, um, it's hidden away in the Kodesh Kodashim. There's not a potential of Avodah Zarah, but outside in the open, in the village square, you cannot have any Elohei Zahav. In the environment of the town, you have to have a Mizbech Adamah or Mizbech Avanim with strict restrictions. In the Mishkan, it can be slightly different. In the town square, because there is no Bidekuna, but this represents a open approach to God, an accessible framework for worship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but it is also an unstable situation open to all sorts of violations, which is exactly what took place at the Egal Azahav. So I hope we've given some uh, new spin, some new interpretation to this, uh, to these uh, unique psukim following, following Har Sinai. It is amazing that in the psukim which immediately follow the revelation at Sinai, the Ma'amal Har Sinai, when we sat there and watched Kodesh Baruch Hu, immediately HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands the human need to want to respond, to want to reciprocate, to want in some way to have connection and access with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, something that people were uh, only experienced at a distance and in a very intense manner. And these psukim represent HaKadosh Baruch Hu's interest in having us connect with Him, with the Divine. Okay, thank you very much. and wish you all a Shabbat Shalom.